Well, we, we literally have a clock in our brains, as do all other mammals. Uh, that clock is called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, for a big word. Uh, and it essentially introduces or imposes a daily rhythm on everything in our bodies, all of our uh, biochemistry, uh, all of our physiology, and of course, our sleep and wake. So there are certain times of the day that it's very easy to fall asleep, and other times of the day it's very difficult to fall asleep. And this is because of our uh, circadian clock. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is a guest for this episode, Dr. Craig Heller. Before I get into the full introduction for Dr. Heller, I want to take a moment to say a sincere thank you. And, and I mean this, thank you. You have many choices for what to do throughout your day. There, there are a number of different podcasts out there. And I sincerely appreciate the fact that you're taking the time to listen to All About Fitness podcasts. I, I, I want you to know that I value your time and I always try to bring you good programming. And today, I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview with Dr. Heller. But first, I want to share with you... Besides the thank you, I want to share with you, recently one of my guests, Francis Largeman, an old friend of mine, uh, sorry, Francis Largeman Roth. Francis Largeman Roth is an old friend who recently wrote a book on smoothies and shakes. And I want to share with you one of my favorite recipes that I've really been enjoying. I never, I never would have thought of putting these flavors together, but one of my favorite smoothies I've been making lately, and it's in, in the muscle building section, her book has five different benefits or five different sections. She has more than 100 recipes. She has recipes for better skin. She has recipes for digestive health. And she also has recipes for muscle building. I've been focusing more on the muscle building recipes lately. And one of my favorite ones is strawberry avocado. It actually is strawberry, avocado, banana. And it's really, I never would have thought of that flavor profile together. But you put those flavors together. It's a great, I'm loving it. I really am. I'm having a blast trying out these different smoothies. I am going to have a link down to that book down below in the show notes. It's smoothies and juices. I told you when I interviewed Francis and I did that podcast going forward over the next few episodes, I'd be sharing with you some of my favorite recipes and I'm, I'm loving the strawberry avocado. I never would have thought of putting those two flavors together, but they work. Now, the other thing I want to share is when I was in college, I, it was my junior year. My junior year, I had a room, a suite mate and my suite mate was a point guard on the basketball team. We, I went to a division three school and it was small, it was small division three school, but we had a good basketball team. We we're always competitive in our league. I, I went to University of Redlands in Southern California, the SCIAC, the Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Association. Whew, that's a mouthful. We just call it the SCIAC. But one of my suite mates was the point guard for the basketball team. And it was funny because on weekends that he was playing, I can't remember if the basketball, I think the basketball team usually played on Saturday night. Well, the days that, that Jay would, Jay would uh, play basketball, he'd sleep like all day. He would wake up, go to shoot around, go eat, go to shoot around, go eat lunch, come back and go back to sleep. And seriously, Jay would probably sleep 18 to 20 hours uh, before a big game. But then he'd go out on the, he'd go out on the court and just drop. And he was one of the leading scorers on the basketball team. He was a, I can't remember if he was a point guard or shooting guard. It shows how much I know about basketball. But I always thought it was outstanding. I thought it was just, it was amazing to me as a college student. Jay really focused on his sleep. Now, years year, and years later, a little bit more than 25 years later, now that I'm in the field of exercise science and, and work as a fitness educator, I am learning about the function of sleep, about the role of sleep. And that brings me to my guest today, Dr. Craig Heller. Dr. Craig Heller is actually a professor of biology at Stanford University, at that little school. What I jokingly refer to with a, a couple of friends have gone there, and I call it the Palo Alto Community College. But in reality, we all know the reputation of Stanford. Stanford is one of the elite universities for research. And he is actually, I've had a number of guests on from Stanford University, but this was a fascinating conversation because I have been trying to learn more about sleep. I The more I learn about sleep, the more I appreciate the benefit of it. And when you think about it, we spend about, theoretically, we're supposed to spend about 25 to 30% of our time sleeping. We have 24 hours in a day and the recommendation is that we need to spend about seven to, eight hour, seven to eight hours of sleeping. And if you're one of these people who you you care about your exercise, you, you work out hard, you 
you have a couple gym memberships, you, you, you do a couple streaming services, maybe you have a home workout facility now or a home workout room now due to COVID, and you really, you love sweating. And maybe you're one of these people, you dial in your nutrition, you, you get that right. But if you're only sleeping four or five hours a night or you're not getting great quality sleep, you're not getting the best out of your, you're not getting the best out of your fitness routine that you can. And that's exactly why I wanted to speak with Dr. Heller today is I wanted to have him inform us about the benefits of sleep. Let's get into this fascinating discussion. This is with Dr. Craig Heller. He's a professor of biology at Stanford University. And we talk about the biology of sleep and why sleep is so important for the human body. Today on the All About Fitness podcast, it is an honor to speak with Dr. Craig Heller, who is a professor of biology at Stanford. How are you doing today, Dr. Heller? I'm doing great. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fine. One of, the, one of the things, so your field of study is you, you study pretty much sleep specifically, right? Or what other areas do you study? Well, I also study human performance and the effect of temperature on human performance. And I study uh, the roles of sleep and circadian rhythms in learning and memory. Interesting. How did you get started in that? That's one question I always like asking researchers how you got interested in the field, because obviously we all like to sleep. <laughs> and, and as I asked this real quick, I had a college roommate who was a point guard on the basketball team. He used to sleep like 18 hours a day before his games. And he'd go out and score like 40 points at night in Division Three. So I didn't know if you had a, an affinity for sleep like he did, or how would you get started studying sleep? <laughs> well, I got started studying sleep literally because the animals I was doing research on didn't stay awake. Huh. I was studying how the brain controls body temperature. And uh, we had these unusual animals in the lab that we were studying. And the data made no sense. And the way we were collecting the data was to put the animal in a metabolism chamber, a closed box. And we got the idea, gee whiz, maybe we should look at the animal. And sure enough, uh, whenever they went to sleep, the responses went away. And whenever they woke up, the responses came back. So they said, well, this is really interesting. We should study sleep. <laughs> hey, well, what can we learn? How does studying animals, this is a question I've always had, and maybe, maybe listeners have had it too, Dr. Heller, is when we study animals, how do we apply that to human physiology? Are there a lot of similarities? Oh, yes. I mean, we are animals and uh, we are very closely related, of course, to other primates, but we are also uh, related in a slightly more distant ways to uh, other species. Now, rodents uh, are, you know, mice and rats are frequently used in laboratory research, uh, and they have many of the same physiological uh, problems, uh, diseases, uh, genetic conditions that, that humans have. So uh, it's a good way to start uh, investigating any type of uh, phenomenon that uh, we're interested in with humans. Interesting. And now you, you said you study circadian rhythms. Yes. And that's one of those things that sometimes people hear that and it sounds, you and I are both in California. You're at Stanford, so you're in Northern California. Yeah. I'm down by San Diego. So sometimes somebody might hear circadian rhythms and think that's a little metaphysical. But what are circadian? What are, what is the circadian biology in the human body? Well, we we literally have a clock in our brains, as do all other mammals. Uh, that clock is called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, for a big word, uh, and it essentially introduces or imposes a daily rhythm on everything in our bodies, all of our uh, biochemistry, uh, all of our physiology, and of course our sleep and wake. So there are certain times of the day that it's very easy to fall asleep, and other times of the day it's very difficult to fall asleep. And this is because of our uh, circadian clock. Interesting. And so that is, that is, that is a real thing. And does it, oh, does it the light changes? Does the light availability like the sunlight? We're, we're now recording this in the, in the late fall or mid fall, I guess, of 2020. Yeah. And so does that affect our body naturally? Oh, yes. It's what keeps us in tune with the real world. Our internal clocks do not have a period of exactly 24 hours. They're either a little bit longer or a little bit shorter. 
So, for example, one of the problems that individuals who are blind have is that their clocks are what we say free running. So they go out of sync with their social worlds. So normally when we see light in the morning and light goes off in the evening, uh, those are the signals that reset our brain clock to real time. Excuse me. I know this is an exciting interview. But I'm going to break in for one moment and tell you about some exciting news. At the All About Fitness podcast, I am never going to put content behind a paywall. However, if you become a supporter of the podcast, you will get access to exclusive content that I am not going to make available anywhere else. So here's the deal. You can become a fan of the All About Fitness podcast by purchasing one of my ebooks, Dynamic Anatomy, Exercise for the Fountain of Youth, or functional core training. Each ebook is $7. And if you purchase an ebook, you become a fan of the All About Fitness podcast. If you purchase a workout, I have a dumbbell strength training workout, a kettlebell training workout, and I have a functional core training workout. Each program is eight weeks long. It includes the workouts, includes metabolic conditioning, and they include active recovery workouts. It's a great deal. Each workout is $12. By purchasing a workout for $12, you become a supporter of the All About Fitness podcast. To become a super fan of All About Fitness, you purchase a bundle. I have different bundles available. I have bundles of ebooks. I have the Dynamic Anatomy ebook and webinar bundle. I have the Functional Core Training and Dynamic Anatomy ebook bundle. Bundles are $19. So those are the three price levels. You become a fan by purchasing an ebook for $7. You become a supporter by purchasing a workout for $12 or you become a super fan by purchasing a bundle for $19. I don't want to take advertising dollars. I want this to be a listener-supported podcast. By supporting the All About Fitness podcast, not only do you get great episodes, I try to put out four to five full-length interviews each month, but by supporting the podcast, you'll get access to exclusive content that'll help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. Thanks for your time. Now let's get back to the interview. Interesting. And now why is sleep so important? And, and this is one of those things where a number of years ago, I don't remember reading much about sleep back when I was a personal trainer working in health clubs in the early 20, 2000s. But over the last maybe eight to 10 years, Dr. Heller, it seems like I read more and more about sleep. Why has it become so, such an important field of study recently? Well, uh, I would say that it probably started to become uh, uh, more important in terms of the science back in about the 1950s when the electroencephalogram first was applied to uh, sleep. And since then, our knowledge about sleep has increased uh, exponentially. So uh, we do realize that we need sleep. Uh, we can go without food longer than we can go without sleep. Uh, if we uh, do the ultimate of keep animals awake or keep humans awake over multiple days, uh, their performance on anything you care to choose, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, uh, physical performance tests or with mental performance tests or physiological tests, the performance degrades steadily. Uh, so we absolutely require sleep, and we require usually about seven to eight hours a night. Uh, many people will cut sleep short. They'll sleep you know, maybe five or six hours a night during the week and then catch up on the weekend. Uh, that doesn't quite do it. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you need to have adequate sleep every day. And what's the prevailing theory? And I want to I say this very specifically for listeners. Because when it comes to studying biology and studying physiology, it's true we don't know anything definitively, but we create hypotheses based on what we observe. And so right now, doctor, what are the prevailing theories about why we need sleep? Well, there are quite a few. Um, the function of sleep is the biggest unanswered question in all of neurobiology. And uh, what we found in pursuing different hypotheses is that sleep as multiple functions. Uh, the most recent hypothesis, which has gained a lot of uh, traction, is that it is during sleep that we clear the trash out of our brains. Mm. And that trash is, is chemical trash. Uh, so that uh, when we go to sleep, the 
the flow of fluids between the cells of the brain increases and takes out the bits and pieces of, uh, of molecules that have been uh, discarded by the cells. Uh, predominantly, uh, one of the molecules uh, is that which composes uh, the problem with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, it's called A-beta. And the fragments of A-beta accumulate externally, uh, external to the cells, and it gets swept out of the brain during sleep. Another area of research is the role of sleep in learning and memory. Uh, we acquire information during the day, and that information is short-term memory. And then during sleep, some of that information, depending on its relevance, uh, gets transferred to long-term memory. And this is something that has to occur during sleep. So um, similarly, we clean out our memory banks during sleep. Things that are less important uh, get left behind. Uh, well, is that why when people have a problem or people are dealing with an issue, they say sleep on it? Is, is yeah. the subconscious brain still working when we're, when we're I, I always look at sleep as basically like literally like shutting down and letting the body recharge overnight, but is the brain still working while we're, while we're physically asleep? We can recharge our bodies during quiet wakefulness. We can't recharge the brain during quiet wakefulness. The physiology of the body doesn't change very much between wakefulness and sleep, but the physiology of the brain changes dramatically. So we have two stages of sleep, REM sleep and non-REM sleep. Uh, most of our sleep, about 80% of it, is non-REM. And during non-REM, we are essentially a quiescent brain in a, uh, in a or, or, uh, I might take that back, I, I, I misspoke. Uh, when we're in non-REM sleep, uh, we have an, uh, a brain which is processing information and our body is quiescent. Uh, but when we go into REM sleep, the activity in the brain increases uh, dramatically, and the body is paralyzed to keep us from acting out our dreams. So uh, these two states of sleep uh, oscillate uh, between each other across the night in about a, with about a 90-minute period. So uh, every 90 minutes, you go from non-REM sleep to REM and then back to non-REM sleep. Interesting. Now, does that, because one of the questions I have has to do with and this, I try not to ask too many personal questions, but I'm just asking from my experience because there might be people that have the same experience. But every now and then I feel, Dr. Heller, like I'm asleep, but I might feel like I'm awake, but I can't move my body uh -huh. where it's like I can kind of maybe perceive that something might be going on. Yeah. And whether I'm in a, I don't know if I'm in a dream or what, but I, I have, from what I've read, that has to do with the fact that I know, as you just mentioned, the body is kind of held in a stasis during REM sleep. What's, what's the happening with that? What, what's the, the mechanism that's causing that to occur? Uh, essentially, the brain is uh, paralyzing our muscles during REM sleep to keep us from acting out our dreams. There is a, a medical problem called uh, REM sleep disorder. And in REM sleep disorder, you may have a situation like you've described in which you actually wake up, but the paralysis of the muscles is still present. And mm -hmm. therefore you, um, you feel that you're awake, but you can't move. There's also the opposite. And that is that the muscle paralysis component of REM uh, turns off before you wake up. And in that sort of a situation, you can actually have some violent movements uh, that can do damage to the body or do damage to a sleeping partner. Mm. That's interesting. And, and the other question I have, because when I was reading through some of some of your work, I, I, I saw that adenosine is one of the substances yes. that func that circulates in the brain. Yeah. And for listeners, adenosine is a component of adenosine triphosphate, which is the actual chemical that, that fuels muscle contraction. Right. And, and this occurs, doctor, when I was a competitive rugby player and when I do like a really hard workout or I do something new or or I'm doing a competition there's sometimes when I'm trying to fall asleep and my body will spasm, my muscles will spasm. And, and my, my theory on that, and this is just my hypothesis, is that that's like leftover acetylcholine, which is the chemical that, that, that fires the synaptic gap for muscle contraction. 
what's what's happening with that when we sometimes spasm? Because I'm sure listeners, if they're active, might have some of the same things of whether body. I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Is that a relatively common occurrence? And and what I've referred to it is it's kind of like an engine knocking after a long car trip. The engine's still warm. And so it's going to knock as it cools down a little bit. Am I right with that at all? I mean, again, that's just my hypothesis. Well, there are a number of causes of muscle spasms. And after very vigorous exercise, it's most likely an electrolyte imbalance. Mm. Uh, But cramps, which occur during performance, uh, they are because of temperature. So the temperature of the muscle uh, goes above a safe level. And the best way to get that muscle to stop is to throw a cramp at it. <laughs> Interesting. And that's where, because that's where the, the sports drinks come in, right? Because the sports drinks help hydrate the muscle a little bit more efficiently, correct? Well, they, they provide hydration and they provide some electrolytes. Uh, but there's also a lot of hype about sports drinks. <laughs> well, what I, what I learned a long time ago was a little bit of sea salt, and maybe a little bit of, uh, of, of, of natural sugar is all you really need in, in a thing of water if you really want a good like electrolyte drink. And that's, is that, would I be accurate in that? Uh, well, pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what it is. Well, let's talk temperature control for a second, because you said that's one of the things you study. Yes. What, ha- what happens to the temperature of our body during when we sleep? What's, what, what happens during that? And what do we need to pay attention to? We also have a thermostat in our brains. We talked about the clock in the brains. There's also a thermostat. And that thermostat turns down when you go to sleep. It turns down on a circadian basis. So even if you stay awake, your body temperature will fluctuate with a period of 24 hours. But when you go to sleep, that thermostat is turned down even more. And you probably have had the experience in which you're really cold in the evening. You go to bed, you cover yourself with a comforter and blankets, and 15 minutes later, you wake up sweating. Because not only have you insulated yourself to feel comfortable, but your thermostat has gone down. So now you have to lose the heat in order to be comfortable. So that's one of the benefits of uh, the temperature-controlled beds. It enables you to program the bed to compensate for that adjust, readjustment of your thermostat. So the, by the bed becoming a little cooler, it prevents you from waking up and sweating. So you probably had the experience too of in the morning uh, feeling chilly. Uh, and in the morning, uh, your thermostat starts back up again before you wake up. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that your body temperature is higher at wake up time than it was during the middle of the night. So the thermostatic bed uh, can pro- be programmed to have a profile that creates an environment that is suitable to these changes in your in the setting of your thermostat, your brain thermostat. And I know that's that's some of the new technology that's been introduced with mattresses and like having smart mattresses. And yeah. is that the theory that you can have a mattress that regulates your temperature overnight to reduce the wake-ups? That's right. Um, I, I like to use the example of uh, traveling to Europe in the summer. And what you find is the hotels still have big, heavy comforters on the beds, fader betten. <laughs> and so you, you're hot, okay, because the rooms are not air conditioned, and you have this big, thick comforter on you. So what do you do? You stick out your hands and your feet, right? And that's how you lose heat to the environment. (laughs) But it's not necessarily the optimal way (laughs) to sleep. So what the uh, temperature controlled bed does is it changes the environment, the thermal environment that you're sleeping in, in order to make you more comfortable. And of course, if you're more comfortable, you will sleep better. And that's and, and so let's talk a little bit about sleep hygiene real quick. I mean, you, re, you, you mentioned earlier that the recommendation is it six to eight hours or seven to eight hours in terms of duration. Uh, seven to eight hours is generally the, the if, if you're left to your own devices without any schedules, uh, you will, most people will get between seven and eight hours of sleep. And that's assuming they spend eight to nine hours in bed. Interesting. So it, that's including a little bit of time before bed, like doing yeah. some reading and some wind down and then right. a little bit of time 
what we do nowadays, unfortunately, I think a lot of us do this, is grab our phone and doom scroll before we get out of bed and to that, see to check the news. That for is the, really bad. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Because uh, one of the things with the circadian clock that I told you is that it is reset by light and predominantly by blue light. So when you expose yourself to blue light at bedtime, what that does is phase delays your clock. So it's as if it's earlier in the evening and you're not ready to go to sleep yet. So exposure to blue light in the evening is not conducive to falling asleep at a regular time. Well, it's interesting you say that because I had read about that and, and I'm making a joke about the doom scrolling because I've really, the last about four to six weeks, I've really made a conscious effort to not look at my phone first thing in the morning because just of the way that starts the day. But the one thing I was doing was I was reading on my iPad in bed before going to sleep and I had read an article about that. And so since then, I've switched to the old fashioned analog books and I have found personally just out of experience that sleep is happening is is happening easier without yeah. having yeah. even though i'd set the ipad to be more favorable for that i found that switching to the analog books so sometimes technology can work against us for that but what are some other tips for getting a good for being able to go, get to sleep well without needing to use any type of aids well there are a number and they are they constitute a body of knowledge which is called cognitive behavioral therapy and mm. this is much better a much better way of treating insomnia or sleep difficulties than taking sleeping pills. So one of the things is just as we said, uh, keep the bedroom for sleep and sex, <laughs> not for doing work. Don't have your computer on. Don't have your television on in the bedroom before you go to sleep. Stop working a couple hours before sleep. Uh, Make sure that you have uh, your dinner not too late so that you're not going to bed with a full, full stomach. These all are just common sense things that lead to healthier sleep, that allow our bodies to express their healthy pattern of behavior. So uh, people who practice and uh, have a regular scheduled time to go to bed and to wake up so that you are maintaining that a connection between your circadian clock and your sleep homeostat, the system which is 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 regulating uh, the depth and the pattern of your sleep. So, yeah, just by using common sense, we can do an awful lot to uh, improve our our quality of sleep. And and the one thing I saw that that you studied, uh, doctor, is around our arousal states and. And I think that's an interesting area because, it, and, I, and I mean this arousal, arousal in a non-amorous way. Obviously, we're talking about the bedroom, and that's a whole other different conversation. Yeah. But what, what exactly are, because in the morning, for example, for listeners, my understanding is, just like you said, our body temperature starts warming up. That's cortisol, one of the hormones that starts releasing energy in the body. But what are arousal states, and what role do they play with exercise and with, and with human performance? Right. Uh, arousal states are just... A uh, different way of describing sleep and wake. So we have two arousal states in sleep, REM and non-REM. We also divide the non-REM into additional stage one, stage two, stage three, which represent the depth of sleep. So wakefulness is an arousal state. REM sleep is an arousal state. Non-REM sleep stages one, two, three are arousal states. So that's all that uh, word means. Uh, it essentially is referring to the arousability uh, of our brains. Are they awake? Are they asleep? How uh, deeply asleep are they? And so forth. Interesting. And so when should we exercise when re related to sleep? Because I know some mm -hmm. people might only have late in the day. They might be very busy and they might think getting to the gym at, at later, like 8, 8.30 in the evening, might help them wind down, but is there a recommendation based on the physiology? And you talked earlier about kind of wanting to be, have a set pattern before going to bed, but some listeners out there might just, that might be the only time they can find to make it to the gym. Well, uh, the question is what kind of exercise? So if that exercise is highly competitive, you know, like mm -hmm. a basketball game, 
then you're not only dealing with temperature, you're dealing with the fact that you've gotten your hormones all revved up, your emotions all revved up, and that has to calm down. But if it's uh, exercise on a fixed bike or weights, uh, then your temperature may go up and it will help you to cool down before you go to uh, go to sleep. Um, if in, on the other hand, you're cold, uh, sometimes a warm bath uh, will promote uh, early onset sleep. So, uh, you know, there are multiple factors that inter interact. Uh, so I, there are, the thing to keep in mind is there are three basic pillars to good health. Okay? One of them is diet. One of them is exercise. And one of them is sleep. So if you maximize, you maintain healthy diet, healthy exercise and sleep, you're most likely going to be in good shape. Sorry, I'm just going to cut in here one more time. I'll be very brief. I want to remind you that I'm doing HIT at home workouts. HIT is high intensity interval training. These are 30 minute workouts. All you need is a set of dumbbells, a little bit of space and a device that can connect to the internet. And you can join me on Wednesdays and Fridays at 12 noon Pacific. That's Wednesdays and Fridays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, other times in between or in other time zones. I broadcast live. It's a great workout. Just about 30 minutes. You'll get strength training, core conditioning, and of course, high intensity interval training. If you work hard, I guarantee you'll be burning more than 300 calories in 30 minutes. That's hit at home exclusively on Homeroom Fit, Wednesdays and Fridays, 12 noon Pacific. There's a link down below in the show notes. You already listened to the podcast. Now come join me for a workout and we can sweat together. Let's get back to the interview. And, and see, thank you, doctor, because I think that's one of the key components because people might do great at the exercise, but might need a little help with the nutrition or they might have nutrition dialed in and might have exercise dialed in, but they work a lot or they don't realize the value of sleep and, and sleep. They might think that old saying is I'll sleep when I get old or I sleep when I, sleep when I retire, you know, but I'm glad you're saying that. Now, how about the pharmacological, get ready to, to wrap up here. What are the, some of the pharmacological interventions? Are those for people that like take sleep pills or sleep aids, what do those do? And do, do those provide quality sleep or are those better left for, just in emergencies or trying to reset to a new time clock? Well, there are different uh, medications that are used to treat sleep. Uh, one whole class are called benzodiazepines, and they all affect a particular uh, type of ion channel in the brain. Uh, they do not produce normal sleep. Uh, they definitely promote sleep, but they don't promote normal sleep. And by normal sleep, I mean uh, sleep that has the characteristic EEG signature. Now, uh, the other problem with the benzodiazepines is they uh, tend to develop tolerance. In other words, you start having to take more and more of them, uh, and that's really unhealthy. Uh, one of the most common uh, additions to uh, medicines these days that promote sleep are what are called antihistamines. So histamine is another brain chemical that uh, maintains wakefulness or promotes wakefulness. And antihistamines cut that back a little bit. And uh, that's why, you know, if you are taking antihistamines, the bottle says, do not take these if you're using heavy equipment or driving. Uh, because they'll tend to promote sleep. But, you know, taking a, an ibuprofen with, uh, that they, they label ibuprofen PM or uh, one of the other uh, anti-nociceptives uh, uh, or anti-inflammatory drugs that, that say uh, PM on them, uh, this means they also have a little bit of antihistamine in them, and that helps uh, promote sleep. Yeah, I was wondering that because my I have a daughter who's allergic to peanuts. She has a pretty severe peanut allergy. And so I'll carry Benadryl. I, I carry Benadryl with me sometimes when we're out and about. And I was looking at the package and I and I saw a um and it was a package of my ex-wife, this is when we were living together, had uh, some of those uh I think Unisom over the counter or whatever they are, sleep pills. And I saw that the, it was the same, basically the same ingredient. It was dye something. D, D something something that was the same ingredient in both Benadryl and the sleep in, in the sleep aid. And I was 
that that just kind of so that's what that's happening. So a histamine will help keep us awake, but the antihistamine yeah. is that what's happening there? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Anything to add about what we should know about sleep? I mean, if if because one of the things I like to do, doctors, I like to I, what I try to do with a podcast is help people understand how to use exercise to mitigate the effects of the aging process. And is there, as we get a little bit older into our forties and fifties, should we be paying more attention to our sleep and trying to get better quality sleep? Oh, absolutely. Uh, sleep, as I said, is absolutely essential and doesn't matter what age you are. Sleep is essential and cutting sleep short endangers your body in many different ways. I mean, it, it compromises your immune system. It, uh, can result in increased blood pressure. It can result in uh, uh, metabolic problems such as risk for diabetes. Uh, so you have to keep in mind that the body runs in two different ways, wakefulness and sleep. And the things that we need to do and have active during wakefulness are the things that get turned off during sleep and restored. So the restorative properties of sleep definitely are for the brain, but they also apply to the body as well. So for example, growth hormone is a hormone that's essential for all sorts of building processes in the body. And growth hormone is released during sleep. If you don't sleep, you don't get the release, the daily release of growth hormone. Uh, but critical are the uh, processes in the brain that are responsible for our learning and memory. Uh, information acquired during the day has to be consolidated. It has to be integrated with the existing information in the brain. And this occurs during sleep. Uh, let me, sorry to cut in here, but as you say that, I just got this image, doctor, that like sleep is a time when I'm taking what I kind of went through during the day and downloading that to my hard drive, or I'm, I'm offloading that from, exactly. if we use our brain as a desktop, then sleep is when I'm taking that data and kind of shoveling it back to a heart. Is that, is that an accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. And, and then finally, what role is napping played? Is, is there a benefit to catching? I've heard, um, I, I heard uh, Brandon Marcello, a, a PhD talk about the benefit of napping and he gave a recommendation. I'm sipping a cup of coffee while we record this. And he gave a recommendation one time that I thought was very interesting. He said, if you drink a little bit of coffee and then you close your eyes for about a 15 to 20 minute cat nap, the, the caffeine hasn't kicked in yet, but then when you wake up, it'll, it'll start, it'll kind of metabolize into your body. So that's, that's one thing. And I don't know whether that's accurate, but I just thought that was an interesting side note, but what role does napping play? Can, is there a benefit to catching a half hour nap at some point during the day? Well, I would imagine that cat nap would have to be pretty short because the caffeine gets in pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so sure, there are benefits to uh, a short nap. Uh, long naps are probably not that uh, that good. Uh, but naps. So, so this is a little bit difficult to answer because we don't know fully the functions of REM and non-REM sleep. Okay. So, if you get a nap, you get non-REM sleep predominantly without the REM. So, some studies have shown that you don't get enhanced memory benefits from a nap. Uh, that sleep during the day is not the same as sleep at night. Uh, so, definitely uh, uh, a nap is healthy in that it uh, relaxes the body and, and clears out the brain. Uh, but it probably is not compensating for loss of, of nighttime sleep. So what somebody happens, go, go ahead. Mind there is this clock mechanism and there is the sleep mechanism and the two are working together. Yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm getting that image of somebody who thinks, Oh, I'll go out at night and then I'll just catch a nap during the day to try to make up for it. And I don't think you might've been able to get away with that early in your twenties, but I think, uh, I don't know about as I get older and I miss if I miss a night of sleep for some reason, usually because of travel or usually because of time, you know, and I haven't traveled for seven months, but I, I do, I've been doing a lot of work in Asia the last few years. I have found, doctor, that if I miss a night of sleep now, it takes me about three to five days to catch up as opposed to in my early 20s. Is that a pretty is that pretty consistent, pretty accurate? Uh, it is. And it's even worse than that. 
Let me give you an example of a wonderful experiment that has been done. People have been put on short night schedules. So they could either be in bed for nine hours, for seven hours, for five hours, and so forth. And then during the day, they are given uh, performance tests. And what you see is the decay in the performance with, with, let's say, five nights of restricted sleep, like a work week. Uh, the performance decay is directly related to the loss of sleep. Now, here is the amazing thing. You then put those individual individuals back on a normal sleep schedule, in other words, restorative sleep, catching up on the weekend, and their performance improves. But it, the longer, the more sleep they have lost, the greater the, well, let me put it this way, they don't come back up to, to the to the level of the individuals that had the nine hours in bed. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, so it takes more than two days to recover. Moreover, if they take those individuals and put them then back on the short sleep schedule, what they find is after only the first night, they're back down at the bottom level that they were after the five days of sleep restriction previously. Wow. So there, there's a long, a long-term deficit that is associated with short sleep and it doesn't work to have short sleep during the week and then sleep in on the weekend. Well, I appreciate saying that. And then the final thing that before we wrap up here is you mentioned earlier about growth hormone. And this is one thing that I'd lecture about quite a bit with, I do a lot of education workshops for personal trainers. And my understanding is we produce growth hormone and testosterone, our anabolic hormones, we produce them during the REM cycles of sleep. Am I correct with that? Uh, well, I don't know if you could say REM. Uh, okay. Definitely during sleep. It's very difficult to, dist to, to sort out the direct effects of REM and non-REM. Uh, one of the reasons is a technique that's been used is REM deprivation. You, know, you allow people to have non-REM sleep, but they can have REM sleep. Uh, and it, but the problem with that is that the longer you have gone without non-REM, the greater is your propensity to go into non-REM. Mm. As a result, the non the uh, I got that mixed up. <laughs> the longer you've been without REM sleep, the greater is the need for REM. The greater is the propensity to enter REM, and that compromises the quality of the non-REM. So. It's very difficult to sort out what is happening specifically in REM, what's specifically happening uh, in non-REM sleep. Because, and, and I appreciate that because one of the things I try to get trainers and other coaches thinking about is on Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays is asking their clients and asking their workout participants, do you have plans in the evening? Because if you're coming to me for a Friday workout, doctor, and you tell me that you and your wife have tickets to the theater at night, and I know that you may be are going to go out and have an extra glass of wine, or you're going to go out and maybe stay out a little bit later than normal. And I know your sleep is going to be disrupted. That's not going to be the day that I give you your hardest workout. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to push you that hard because I know your sleep is right. going to be disrupted that night. Should people pay attention to that kind of balance their workout intensity with their, with their plans at night? Cause whereas if you told me that your plans for Friday night were just to watch Netflix and hang out and maybe get Chinese food, I might push you a little bit harder in the gym that day. Am I, am I thinking along the right lines with that? Well, I guess the problem is if you're going to the concert, are you more likely to fall asleep in the concert or not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I love the theater, but going to the theater after, after a meal, and man, I'm, I'm, people are singing to me, it's dark, and I'm comfy, but... <laughs> we, we certainly see that in our uh, performance experiments on students. You know, we can always tell when it's midterm time or when they've been out partying on the weekend, their performance definitely goes down. <laughs> no, that's interesting. But am I, am I right with that, though? If, if I'm going to be working with somebody, I'm doing a workout like on a Friday or Saturday and say I have plans for that night, I'm going to a party and I'm going to be out later than normal, maybe not have an extra drink or two than normal that's going to disrupt my sleep. I shouldn't really work out my I sh that shouldn't be my hardest workout if I know my sleep isn't going to be normal if I'm going to have disrupted sleep that night. Am I, am I correct in that? Uh, I can't answer that. I, there are too, too many variables. <laughs> okay. 
what you're doing. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and again, I appreciate that because you just don't know. You don't know the individual. You don't know what variables are in there. So I totally. Right. And know, once again, it's the nature of the exercise as well. Now, is it something which gets you really worked up and, and uh, uh, aggressive? Uh, or is it something which is just monotonous uh, physical work? So That's true. Difference. Yeah, because running, whether running is a little bit more steady state versus an interval type workout that's going to have a different response. Yeah, you're right. There's a there's a very different response. Well, to wrap it up, if, if, if we can pay attention to our temperature and control our temperature when we sleep, that can help us with get a better quality sleep, correct? Yes, that's 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 true. Uh, put it this way. In a cool environment, it's a lot easier to lose heat. Uh, than it is in a warm environment. So your body is trying to go to a lower level and in the warm environment, that's more difficult to do. So definitely the the early sleep, the onset of sleep is going to be compromised uh, if you're in a too hot environment or a too cold environment, so. And this is the time of year I love in California because we're getting the cool evenings yes. and you open up the window and, and I, don't, I don't know, just that fresh air, that cool evening. And yeah. I can tell there's a much, much better quality of sleep. And, and I, so yeah. that has to be a reason for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Dr. Craig Heller, a professor of biology at Stanford University, I really, I, I greatly appreciate your time today. And I greatly appreciate the insights on the science and the biology of sleep. Good. Well, good luck. That, that's a fascinating discussion. As you can tell, I, was kinda, I had a bunch of questions written down for Dr. Heller, and some of those were personal. And I, and I don't know about you, but I really have I've wondered about that. And it doesn't happen that often. It, I, I can't re- I, there's, it doesn't happen with enough frequency to remember. But I do know that every once in a while, I wake up and I can kind of perceive what's going on around me, but I can't move. And I thought that was such an interesting thing that when we're in REM sleep, that our body is basically in, in paralysis. I think that's such a fascinating, I, I think something like sleep is so fascinating, right? If you're like me, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, I mean, I, exercise comes easy. Nutrition, I have to work at that a little bit. Nutrition intake and sleep is one of those, as Dr. Heller said, is one of those critical things that we can do, especially as we get a little bit older, as we get, as we age. And and this accounts to everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're 60-something or 20-something. We're all getting older 24 hours at a time. We're all getting older one day at a time. And I can tell you, I mean it 100%. If something happens, if I'm up late working on a project because I didn't budget my time well or for whatever reason I couldn't sleep well because my mind was racing. And one thing I've started doing with that is something I read was I keep a journal by my bed now. If I find that I'm having trouble getting to sleep because I keep thinking about something during the day, I take a few moments and I write it down. And once I write it down, it's not running around. That that gerbil gets off that wheel in my head. And that's one of those tips that really has helped me kind of wind down the evening. As I mentioned, I did a quick fit tip, tip recently. The other, one of the other things I'm doing is I'm not watching TV. I'm trying to shut the TV off before 9 o'clock. And, and after 9 o'clock, I'll listen to other podcasts. And that's because it just the, the light, the blue light from screen time can really affect our circadian rhythm. And that was one of those things. I mean, for years, I've heard about circadian rhythm. And to me, it always seemed a little bit kind of like, oh, that's just kind of crazy talk. But really, we do, doing the research and reading some of Dr. Heller's work for this interview, we really do have, it's it's innate in our biology. That's why you can wake up when the sun comes up. That's why you get tired when the sun goes down. Our body is naturally, I mean, when you look at it, the human body, we're tens of thousands of years old. We've only had artificial light for a little bit more Maybe about a 130, 140 years. We've maybe had, I don't know when, uh, when Bell, um, no, Alexander Bell did the telephone. I don't know when uh, Edison invented the light bulb. I think it was in the late 19th century. So we've maybe only had electric light for a little bit more than a century. And we've, so that's, that's, it's been that recently that's really affected us. And we've only had TVs in the last 60 years. We've only had computer screens the last 30 or 40 years. So this is affecting our biology and affecting our physiology. One of the reasons why I wanted to interview Dr. Heller is Dr. Heller is on the advisory board for a company called Eight Sleep. Eight Sleep makes a temperature-controlled bed. It's pretty fascinating about the physiology of this. Eight Sleep is 
the technology behind it is pretty amazing. It's temperature controlled. Your body adapts to it. What I love doing in, in spring, winter, and fall in North County, San Diego, it actually gets a little bit chilly here, and, and chilly being relative. In the in the forty, we get down to the forties and fifties, like mid forties, low fifties, and that's quote unquote chilly for us here in North County, San Diego. But when it gets chilly during the winter, I love sleeping with the window open because that cool weather really helps me sleep better. And I actually will sometimes sleep with a sweatshirt on to help regulate my temperature. But that's what the technology behind a company called Eight Sleep. Eight Sleep has that technology that can help regulate. That It has an app that the mattress is wired to an app and it tells you how your body is sleeping. You also have the fitness trackers and smartwatches like Apple Watch. The new Apple Watch Series 6 that's beginning ready to be released helps you track your sleep and your sleep quality. That's important because you want to make sure, hey, if you're if you're investing your time in exercise, if you're investing your time in expert in, in, in if you're expect if you're investing your time in exercise, if you're investing your time and effort and energy into good nutrition, we gotta invest the same amount of effort and the same amount of energy in our sleep. So now that you have some of this information, what can you do to change your sleep habits? What can you do to get better quality sleep? I can't answer that for you. That really is, you know, you got to decide that. And, and really, if you put your efforts in the gym, if you, if you go through all the efforts of eating well, then go through the effort, go through the trouble of sleeping well. I can tell you personally, those days I get the better quality sleep, man, I feel better. I feel stronger. The workouts are better the next day. And it just makes me want to get more of it. So with that, again, if you want to support the podcast, please give the podcast a review. Reach down and review it. If you want to support it, you can buy a piece of content. I have eBooks, functional core training, exercise program design for the fountain of youth, how to use exercise to slow down the aging process. That's, hey, the right exercise, the right nutrition, the right sleep can literally take years off your biological clock and help you live longer with a higher quality of life. That you can buy my book, Smarter Workouts. It's a science of exercise made simple. If you bought it, thank you very much. I appreciate the support. And I'm just trying to bring you the best quality, the best exercise and fitness information that can help you enhance your quality of life. That's that's my goal with the All About Fitness podcast. I want you to learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. That's what you do in the gym, and that's what you do out of the gym to help the results from the gym stick. If you want to reach out to me, you can do that, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can follow me on Instagram. I try to put information up on Instagram, Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. And you can check out the All About Fitness Podcast YouTube channel. That's the name of it, the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. So with that, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.